Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy. Otherwise, um, hey, that's uh, Kiff Vandenhuvel there, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have any lead-ups. I just have, you know, I'm just... You know, you're in your closet. I'm, I'm, I'm in my closet. I'm outside my, the, there's a green screen here, but I got my booth behind me. My, oh, nice. Yeah. It's, um, we, we actually had it built so that, um, it just sort of looks like a part of the room. And then we had it plastered over. So it looks like it's actually a room within a room. The walls oh, match man. the walls. Yeah. That's so slick. Yeah. Just in time for us to decide, you know what? We need to sell this place and buy a house. And so how we're going to take it with us is going to be a nice, interesting challenge. Oh my gosh. Oh, dude. I empathize with you. I mean, we just moved a couple, maybe two, three months ago. The last yeah. thing I thought I'd be doing is moving in the middle of a pandemic, but it's a, it's a challenge. You know, huh? it, it, it is a challenge. Uh, th there were lots of options, uh, but, um, but you know, and I'm, I'm glad we ended up to be where we are. Right. My booth, while my booth is uh is very um is very fashionable it's also uh considerably quieter than my previous place and uh it's worked out really well to um to be able to convert this little space i will i have said this before we have a lot of uh aspiring voice actors that watch my stream that watch these videos and yeah. you know some voice actors who are working but want to work more let me tell you something when i had um we rented an apartment and we had dual walk-in closets in the master. And I put my microphone in there and it was carpeted and I had clothes on either side. Sounded just like a booth, just like so a professional just, booth. The best, the yeah. best. I mean, it's the most expensive soundproofing you can imagine. Yeah. But, but you've already made that investment. If you have right. a, if you have a rack, I mean, I, I, and I put stuff up uh, my my previous booth was still like you know broadcast quality and it was yeah. still it was the same you know stuff with mm -hmm. a few sonic pads yeah and um and uh, it it does it does wonders it yeah. really does yeah it absolutely swallows the sound if you're a yeah. singer my wife being a singer likes to record stuff in the bathroom because it bounces everywhere she loves that and i submitted That's an awesome. audition you must have read for the same thing i can't remember what it was for but they say Hey, we want you to sing a few bars of a pop song. Yeah, yeah, I'm not much of a singer, but I'm singing, and I play it for my wife later. And she said, "Next time, record it in the bathroom. You're gonna sound better because oh, inside God. your booth, the sound just it, as we want it to, it just immediately dies once it hits your mic, which is what we want. But when you're singing, for some reason, you just wow. sound better when there's like a high ceiling and everything's made of marble." It's the last thing voice actors want, but it's the first thing singers want. That's it. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great idea. I never even thought about singing in a different space. I have like, do you, when you do a singing audition, do you have, do you sing fresh every single time? Or do you have like one or two recordings that you're like, eh, do I really want to just copy and paste. I've gotten I into should. that bad habit. I should, oh, honestly, I should do that if I was smart because I can't yeah. get it right every time. I always sing it fresh, but I'm the, I, I listen back and I go, well, that's not as good as the guy that sang it. It's like, yeah, because that's a singer. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to copy a guy who sold millions of records. Are you nuts? Right. That's a What's problem. Your what do you, oh, what do you man. sing? Do you like it, for, 
it changes. I tried to do an NXS song, which is a mistake because he had one of the <laughs> greatest voices of all time. So I tried something in my register that was like from their early catalog. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't book it. Um, I, I once tried because it was part of the audition. They wanted us to sing. You'll be back from Hamilton. Oh, which, yes. Which I can get within a mile or two of that guy, but he's still yeah. a Broadway singer and he's amazing and I'm not. Yeah. And so yeah. I, you know, I, I played it for my wife who is a singer and she listens and she goes, you, you know, this kind of, there are a couple of times where, yeah. <laughs> so I don't have a go-to. Yeah. Yep. I've been doing Tom Petty, um, free fallen. I had been yeah. doing that because a lot of it was acapella and it was, there was the rain. I could, I can hit that note. I can sustain the high note of the chorus and I could carry a tune in the middle. Yeah. And then um, I started taking singing lessons through the Santa Monica music center. Oh really? Uh, and I've continued on with it. And uh, dude, I cannot recommend it enough. I may have to do I'm, that. I mean, to, to everybody who's an, in, who's interested in doing this work or does it um, I, I, the, my vocal strength, my vocal rest, my vocal health, okay. uh, my, and more importantly, my confidence when it comes to doing stuff like that, where it's okay. like when they ask you to do something, it's just, it's good. And, you know, right now you can, you can get it anywhere, but you know, wherever you are, like more than likely someone teaches some music theory and singing in your neighborhood. You can okay. find it. Because I'm curious about that because I know, like, for example, I can, I can hit uh, a, pretty high decibel as far as overall volume goes if yeah. i'm having to do like a video game if i'm having to yell yeah. but i remember once walking with our kids and this was in a different neighborhood but it was busy and i was uh pushing a stroller and we had the light so we start crossing the street this guy is gonna kind of roll through the light and it was fast enough to where i thought if i'm not careful he's gonna hit us and yeah. so i yelled Hey, like that, but it was a million times louder than that. And I don't know where it came from. It came up from my feet and everything I had, it bellowed out. Like if fifth gear was the highest gear I could get, I hit sixth. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? That was pure adrenaline, pure yeah. adrenaline. That's only happened once or twice. And it's never really happened in a recording session because I've never feared for my kid's life. And yeah. I thought when it comes to singing, for me to really reach the notes I need to reach, I almost need to feel like my life depends on it. And I get the feeling that maybe singing lessons teach you how to loosen yourself up and reach yeah. that extra gear. Yeah, I, I found that it helps me take the effort out of it. Uh -huh. And to one of the things that I really appreciate about her, uh, her name is, is Laura Lee. She's a terrific singer in her own right and a uh -huh. really great teacher. She's younger and um just from from the first time we started working on like just some basic warm-ups and scales and i got right. to where my break hit into my falsetto and then uh -huh. i was like wow well, i'm in my falsetto that's as far as i can go yeah. she's like no 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 well let's keep going and then she helped me find because i've always been like i'm a baritone i got a big chest i've right. and i live in my throat uh -huh. I, and I live in my chest and she helped me find my nasal resonator and yeah. I already knew about it, but like 
working in it to be able to find, like I found my Bugs Bunny. I'd never been able to do Bugs Bunny before. And like finding resonating up there Uh through singing helped me get there. And then, um, and then also in terms of how deep I can go, I found out she's like, dude, you have six octaves. Really? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's not pretty. The the top (laughs) octaves are not pretty, but I can hit them. I can get, I can make those sounds. And like, that's where the value has come in for me of like this feeling of shit, I got six octaves. And then I can go, I can go, I can go Darren DePaul deep. I can go really Fred Steve Blum deep. I don't know if I can yell and sustain, but I can hit those, hit those notes. And it's like, it's like someone just gives you, um, you know, I'm sure you've gone through like had some kind of like a massage at some point or, or, yeah. or, you know, just all of a sudden you get a little bit more range that you didn't think you had. Yeah. yeah. And you walk out of there going, I've suddenly been given this gift of more mm-hmm. options. Oh yeah. And um, it's really, really, it, I can't recommend it enough. I uh, don't think I have six octaves. I have noticed that if I take a nap and I had a nap today, cause yeah. <laughs> dad has two kids and <laughs> naps happen even if you get seven hours all i need seven but if yeah. even if i get seven but if i've had a day and it's not like i have to run and chase them around it's just that right. they're they're here all the time and even with yeah. help even with the missus you're just you're always a little distracted so yeah. i take a nap i wake up i'm always lower and more textured after a nap i'm down here yeah, yeah. sounds like like i just smoked a cigar and it lasts for an hour or so yep Yep. And then I'm back up again because over the course of a day, I always go up in pitch. My voice always goes up. Yes, same. And through the singing lessons, I've gotten access to my lower register at four o'clock in the afternoon without a, without a, like there, like there's my, my vocal fry coming in. There's my Dustin Hoffman. I can get down there, you know, in this place. And to nice. be able to have that at this time of day, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a kind of a natural, natural baritone tending towards tenor, okay. but by, by doing some of these exercises and just working those muscles, giving me more options over the course of the day has really been uh, really surprising and great. Well, that's, uh, What's very important in our business is to have as many arrows in the quiver as possible yeah. because we we know what we're up against. Our good friends, yeah. we're, yes. we're up against them and other colleagues, and they're <laughs> formidable. And so formidable, yes, they're you, the they're yeah. a, I mean, we're 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 at a tier as as actors where yeah. we are competing. We're, we're the, you know, we're the, we're the, I don't want to put us necessarily in that league. Why not? We're, we're the, we're the John Stamoses and the, the Ethan Hawks and the George <laughs> Clooney's of our business. You know, we're, you know, there's a ton of those guys and they're all very good and we're all very good. And we've all been at it for 20 plus years. And, uh, and it just keeps getting you better and, and, and elevating those, those steps until you look back down the sand dune and go, Holy cow, have I really gotten this far up? Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting spot to be at, you know, and yeah, and still like, you know, wow, I've invested time. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. When you look back and you think, wow, yeah. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, these these little bricks, like you say, these little steps in the sand, these bricks that you build of this foundation, it yeah. does add up. And it isn't just the performing a lot of it. I think people don't mm. realize enough. Um, I talked I talked to a couple of people I've interviewed about this. 
the amount of work a lot of young voice actors put into their social media is really impressive, but yeah. sometimes they forget, hey, the social media is great. It might get you noticed, but what are you going to do once you get noticed? What are you going to show them? You know, Kiff's taking singing lessons. Kiff's been in the business for over 20 years and he's still burning the midnight oil. What are you doing? You're brand yeah. new. Kiff has a body of work right. and he's taking singing lessons. So yeah, get get the attention however you're going to get it. But you know, the best way to keep their attention is to have the skill set. Man, 100%. I mean, when I got out here, this was nine years ago, uh -huh. nine and a half. And there was we may have talked about this before, like the, the trend of, of casting director workshops was in full swing. And I was so excited to finally get into a place where I could go in and go show everybody what, you know, what, what I had been working on in my 10 years of being a voiceover right. actor. And, you know, all the commercials I had done in Chicago, I was going to come and blow everybody's mind in animation. And, and I went into rooms that I had no business in, <laughs> no business. I didn't know. I mean, I could read copy certainly, yeah. but there, but I didn't find the nuances and I didn't blow. All I did was, um, I was talking about this with, with my wife today. It was kind of like the effort of trying to lift tremendous weight and my copy and my reads just sounded like I was trying to show them how much effort I could put into yeah. my work. And it just sounded, you know, looking back on that now, how labored and how much how much I wanted it, what I didn't realize that smell was the desperation smell. I thought desperation smell smelled different, but it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it was that smell. It smells the same no matter where you are. If you're in a bar, yeah. if you're in a casting office, <laughs> right. if you're, uh, yeah, in an audition, it doesn't matter. Um, it's always the same funk coming it off is. you. We've all it had is. it. Lord knows I've had it. Um, yep. Yeah. It's, it's it's a combination of Dracar Noir and... Um, <laughs> I don't know, dead and, skunk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dead skunk, skunk and Road. wintergreen mints to cover it up. <laughs> Roadkill, yeah. Yep, all yeah. of it. Some it's sort of, every... yeah, and the air freshener of an 86 Honda Accord. Uh, I don't know how I came up with that, but that's just, that's pretty much It's a really it. specific yeah. smell. It's, yeah, it's, it's an specific. attempt. It's attempt to have the new car smell, but that car has been owned by like four owners. Yeah. <laughs> It's got a lot of miles on it, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and you're coming not just from voice acting and and having done commercial work in chicago but you've done on camera to the point where yeah. i mean my kids were watching your show you know awesome. they're watching richie rich and i said <laughs> i know that guy yeah and i i remember talking he's like are you guys doing any more seasons and you said dude we finished shooting that thing like five years ago yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's i'm it's right back in the grind i'm back in the rat race Absolutely. I'm, I'm lucky to be working this week. I got a co-star on a show and uh, nice. And it's it's great to be man. It's great to be doing a non camera thing on a lot and to work with, you know, names and stuff. And like I, I didn't expect as a co-star type of actor to be able to get back into that space. And mm -hmm. um, but like to. Yeah, Richie Rich is just sitting there, man, just entertaining kids. And I yeah. love it. It's so fun. It's so fun that so many people have discovered that show and had fun with it. It was a it was a tremendous learning experience. Oh, sure. And, uh, and a blast. Like you know? the the one thing that does help, somebody was asking today on my stream. I was just playing and I it just sort of came up that I had done stand-up comedy. That was my oh, I did man. ten years of ten years of stand-up on the road. So my my practice, my uh, my prep 
was drama minor in college, so I got in a couple of plays. I took a couple of acting classes. And talk about effort and heavy lifting. That's all it was. Any yeah. piece of scenery nearby had my teeth marks on it. It was <laughs> it, There wasn't acting. It was dropping my pants, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but stand up. I started to, you know, I started to smooth over the rough edges and I got 10 years of that in. I just got the ability to, you know, hit lots of different peaks and valleys, read a room, just get confidence. Mm. And they were asking, geez, I want to get into stand up. What's your advice? And I said, it's the toughest advice to give during a pandemic, but you got to get in front of an audience. You got to get out yeah. and do it. And the same thing goes for any kind of performing during a pandemic. It's really rough, but no matter what you do, you've got to be expressing yourself in front of an audience and getting their feedback. I don't know how yeah. you're going to do it. I guess Zoom, TikTok, who knows? Dude, it's about being creative. I mean, I I, I go to downtown Disney and watch how the how the how the Disney Corporation has done what they needed to do to figure it out to keep commerce going uh -huh. i watch different theater companies figure out what they got to do how we've done it how every actor you know and then some had had to had to go buy source connect and figure out how to make it work with their system we yeah. pivot it's what we do and yeah. you know like my uh, the the best advice you can give to anybody is just like yeah like you say like you got to log time in front of people and um, and now people don't have excuses. You have time. Yeah. Pre this, it was like, oh, I wish I had more time to devote to X and so. Well, you were granted a magic gift of a <laughs> deluge of time. Yeah. And what do you and, you know, no one's expecting you to go write King Lear, but it is about how can you. What do you what do you want and how can you how can you occlude in some respects, what's going on in the world to work on who you are and who you are as a performer. Like you talk about the years you worked in standup and in, and for me, it was second city doing sketch comedy and having uh, that, having that audience, having the improv, doing it long enough to not care what they say about me and whether they laugh or not mm -hmm. and wanting that laugh, but being okay without it um, and having the confidence to let it go and it came more freely. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a weird, uh, it, it is a weird sort of, uh, it's it's non, uh, well, I forget exactly what the word is that I'm seeking, but it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's ironic in a way that as much as you want that laughter, the harder you crave it, the more you want it, the more elusive it becomes. Yeah. At least that's what I found and, and, and time and experience helped me not care and then to be able to put and not care in that surface way but care deeply inside uh -huh. um but how that's transformed into vo too and that it helps your reads become less labored mm -hmm. and all of that um yeah know. one of the gifts i've found of voice acting is in an on-camera audition I, I talked to carlos alas rocky about this an on-camera audition waiting room is a very tense place yeah. A voice acting audition waiting room is a party. We're it's, just having it's... fun. I don't know. Nobody just, I mean, yeah, sure. We all want the gig, but we also sure. know this is a volume business. There are a lot of other jobs out there. There are a lot of other auditions out there and they're all coming. And so, yeah, I, I almost see it as, Hey, here's a chance at least pre pandemic and hopefully one day again, yeah. Is a chance to see some people maybe I haven't seen in a while to tell some yeah. stories to hang out and then yeah I get to go in and act 
and then I leave. And yeah. and just the ability to be okay with whether you get it or not frees you up, knowing that more is coming. Mm. You've, right. you've had some happen. You've got more coming. It makes you very loose. It's it's a very rare time when I ever really got so, um, uh, so psyched out by the fact that I wanted a job that I it it, it negatively affected my audition with voice acting with yeah. with on camera. It happened almost every time. I just <laughs> I hadn't I never got to the point where I mastered the art of just not giving a damn in yeah. an on camera audition. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's an art because when you're in the room and it's really more about all of you instead of voice acting, which, you know, I, I got to say, there's uh, recently stumbled across through a podcast called The Happiness Lab, ran across a performance coach named Don Green, uh -huh. who is a um, who has a site called Winning on Stage and a couple of books. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically targeting um musicians he was a performance coach at, at juilliard for like 10 years uh -huh. after being a u.s olympic diving coach and a sports coach and all some stuff wow. but so much of it is about dealing with that anxiety of the performance of mm -hmm. the and um and that on camera space and where where i felt it um predominantly was in was specifically in uh prep for animation um with with commercials and promo and video games even even though the even though it's the same skill set yeah. there's something about that oh if i could just get that thing yeah. and then <laughs> you know and it just changed it turned it into an on camera audition where in an on camera space i'm a lot more comfortable especially given the fact that for the most part i'm a co-star actor meaning uh -huh. i have four or five lines uh -huh. i got to come in make a strong choice and leave right and that's that comes easy yeah. you know so um but like, yeah, I, it feels like the more you want it, the more you, the more, you know, it's, it's helpful to sort of find a way through and that the win doesn't become getting the job. It's right. untethering from untethering from the expectation of winning it and mm -hmm. tethering to how can I be my best in this moment? And mm -hmm. that's the win. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Actually that, and that is pretty much dovetails with um, a wonderful video of Brian Cranston giving an interview. It's a quick interview. It's I think it was at yeah. the SAG Awards from a few years ago, and you've probably seen yeah. it. If yes. you can find it, find it. It's a minute long. And Brian Cranston said, "You know, it was a few years back. Um, I had I just I wasn't working very much, and I was always getting anxious about auditions. I always wanted to see what what can I do to book the job. I got to book this job, and I realized I'm not there to book a job. I'm an actor. They've asked me to come in." and perform for them. So I'm not trying to book a job. I'm auditioning, uh, you know, well, actually I'm not auditioning. I'm playing a character. I've made, yeah. as you said, I've made my choice. I'm there in that room to act for a few minutes and then to leave. The character I'm playing doesn't want to try and get a job. The character knows nothing about my little problems. The character is the character. I go in, I play the character, and I leave. Getting a job has nothing to do with it. And once I had that mindset, I never stopped working. Hmm. And yeah, and so everybody gets it flipped. I would get it flipped. I would say, I really got to book this job. No, you don't have to book the job. They're not asking you to book the job. They're asking you to play the character as well as you can. That's right. what they're looking for. But we right. get it turned around in our heads because we want everything else that comes with 
booking the job and oh right. i can pay my rent or oh maybe i can i can uh, uh i can buy that car i want or i can get some adulation or i right. can add some followers because this part will bring more attention to me that has nothing to do with the character you're about to audition for that character That's knows right. nothing about those concerns and so. it's it's an unfair weight to put on yeah. yourself yeah and to put on those decision makers and yeah and you just and that and and it leads to that that musky horrible uh, dead rat smell that you were describing <laughs> yeah. earlier of desperation. That's what all those thoughts. Uh, yeah, that's the sound. It's the feeling. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, to wit, bad. to wit. I had an audition. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. Might have been three weeks ago, and it was a callback. And callbacks in voice acting are not that common anymore. You either get it or They're you not. don't. So yeah. this was a callback, and this was for a. A pretty big project and it would be for the lead of a pretty big project that's all I can say about it because yeah. I haven't heard I'm guessing at this point I didn't get it but, yeah, but... I prepared yeah I have no idea but, you but, know the you time know, yeah. the time is so you have weird no clue I know um, but I prepared as well as I should have prepared I had no expectations of even getting the call back and from what I understand it was down to me and one other person so, and it was a long callback. It was 30 minutes to an hour of working. Holy cow. Yeah, all through Source Connect and, and Zoom and all that. And I treated it like, hey, look, this is like a job already. I'm going to bring the experience I have to bear. Yeah. I'm going to bring my professional attitude. I'll make, I'll make um, observations and suggestions where appropriate. And otherwise, I'm going to treat this like it's a session. I'm just, I'm not getting paid, but I'm here to work. That's right. I couldn't have expected anything more from myself. I did everything I wanted to do in the audition and I have, I'm completely able to let it go. That said, I'd love to book it. Whoever yeah. gets it, they must have done a really great job because I brought it. But you know what? Yeah. I did my part. I didn't worry about, oh, I really want to book this. I said, right. no, I'm here to be this character. I'm going to be the character. I'm going to take their direction. I'm going to treat this like this is a session. Yes. Because what they want to know is what's the session going to be like with this guy if we do hire him. That's right. Yeah. That's so true. And that's and and it feels good and like like you're saying to be able to let it go. Yeah. That's in a way one of the most important parts is like do everything prepare so that you can so yeah. that you can dismount it and go I I did everything I came to set out to do. And yeah. um and like that's what it's one of the things that the Don Green work has helped me do is mm -hmm. um, prepare myself to deal with whatever anxiety is associated with going into that room and to uh, and to let it go and then to set myself free to 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 uh, to try to deliver a peak performance. Yeah. And take all the things out of the way so that when I'm done, I walk out of the room going, did I leave any money on the table? Was there anything I wish I had done? Any interaction that I wish my confident self would have been, nope, nope. Yeah. I, I can hold my head high and, and sleep well. Claim Although, victory and depart the field. <laughs> yes. It is funny because I've had a couple of actors on on here that um, one, uh, Chantel Van Santen, she's the oh. voice of Wraith in Apex Legends, where I'm a character, but she's yeah. also in The Boys on Amazon Prime. And it's a oh, show. Oh, no kidding. Oh, That's yeah, awesome. yeah. She's a, she's a great character in that. She's mostly in the second season and she's Butcher, um, the uh, the wife of uh, Butcher, who is oh, the mother yeah. of the kid who turns out to have superpowers. So, yeah, yeah I, I wish I could remember her character's name, but she told me about reading for that part. Now, she had already worked. She was already, you know, 
had, had been very busy as an actress, had been on a lot of high-profile shows. She had a great resume. And yeah. she said, I went in there and I totally laid an egg in the audition. It was awful. I hated all my choices. Everything I did was awful. I walked out of there. I immediately called my manager and I said, well, I, there ain't no way I'm booking that. And the manager said, that's funny because they just called me and said, you were fantastic. <laughs> that you got the job and whatever it was you did, they loved it. Keep doing that for the part. And she said, I don't know who that girl was. They saw, but she can't act. <laughs> and, and, and yet it was exactly whatever it was. They loved yeah. it. You never know. You never know. You never know. It's one of the things I, I, I don't remember if we spoke on this or not, but it's one of the things that I really love about, about voice matching specifically. And both of us live in that, we yeah. both swim in those waters yeah. that there, that you do know you, there is a measurable that how close am, how good is my Richard yeah. Nixon is my Nixon like right there or is it askew? And, and who's like, you know, who's going to get the Ryan Reynolds who can get them, who can nail them, you know, like, right. like that kind of a thing. Right. But, but every, every other aspect of this is so subjective and, uh, and, and all you can do is, is focus on pleasing yourself and telling the truth and yeah. knowing that when you put your head down on the pillow at the end of the day that you did, your, you did your job and you did it well. Yeah, and it's funny because a guy that you did voice match on a project we worked on, I think it was for the <laughs> Disney ride over yes. in, uh, I can't remember which Disney it was, uh, Disneyland something might have been in Osaka or I have no idea where the hell yes. it is. Oh, oh, the, uh, the, that, that, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're the, talking it's about. An, an Avengers ride, which I don't yes. know, maybe they used our voices for it or not. I can't remember. I don't but, know. Yeah. But you were voicing Robert Downey Jr. For Iron yes. Man. And I did uh, Chris Hemsworth for Thor. And <laughs> that's right. And I thought, wow, how did I, I had, I, I, I think I tried out for Robert Downey Jr. I wasn't confident about it. And I started hearing you do Robert Downey Jr. And I thought, oh, that's how you do it. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to hear somebody else's take yes. and you go, that was the facet I was missing. That's it. That's the way in. And like, yeah. I'll talk with, with AJ Locasio about, about his Harrison Ford because he does okay. young Harrison Ford uh, scarily well. Right. And my Harrison Ford is old Harrison Ford. Right. So- like he does Hans, we did, we both played Han Solo on the cartoon and in talking with him on my show, it was like, how did you, what, like, what is it? And he has, he has this sort of creamy nasal sound that he brings into his young Harrison that uh, I can't hit at all, right. but he doesn't have the, the, the mumble, like right. that space. Right. And it's, it's, it was so, it is like, there's, it's a, it's a puzzle. And when you see someone else's way through it, you're like, aha, that's yeah. how you're getting in. That's how you're backing into it. Like I found right. Tom Hanks. I found Tom Hanks through Vince Vaughn. So uh, like, yeah. My Vince Vaughn is up here, you mm -hmm. know, so like I'm talking about like my posture is literally I spread my my shoulders apart, my chest out and just start talking fast. And it's in this place. But if you slow him down and put a tie on him, it's Tom Hanks. Ah. And that was my way into finding, you know, into finding him. And yeah. like, you know, it, it is about like what are different people's tricks and. That's fascinating. That's when you realize that Tom Hanks and Vince Vaughn probably can do very good impressions of each other. That's right. You start to realize that. You start to see, oh, okay, I got it. I got it. I see you take yeah. a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that. You shake him up, you add ice, boom. Okay, now you got him. Yeah, that's now you exactly got him. right. Yeah, and, you just and pour it across the board. Yeah. 
And it was funny because we talk about whether or not you're going to get the job and what attitude you're supposed to use in the audition. Robert Downey Jr. years ago said in an interview, he says, you know what? You know how they decide if they want you in a movie? They decide if they want to be around you for six to eight weeks. That's what really gets you the part. Because at, at, at the level he was at, this was like in the late 80s, the level he was at, oh, everybody could act. Everybody was either already a movie star or they yeah. knew what they were doing. So you no longer had to worry about whether or not they were any good or they had been tested by the market. They had all passed that test. Now it's, okay, how do we weigh and measure this? How do we figure it out? You know, it could be the director's preference. It could be right. what the intended market is for the film. But according to Downey Jr., it was, did they just want this guy on the set for eight straight weeks getting up at 5 a.m. with him? Because right? they says, if they don't want to be around you, man, you better be huge box office for them to put up with you. You've got to be able to justify bad behavior by being really amazing. Otherwise, yeah, no one wants to sit in a wardrobe, in a, in a makeup trailer with you. And, and you do, you're right. Like you get to, like I think about so many of, the, of, of our contemporaries and we are all very specific flavors of ice cream. It's kind of like yeah. we've proven that we can act. We've proven that we have the chops and we have the home studio to be able to accomplish the goal. Right. And then, you know, when you send in the auditions and stuff and you, you kind of hope that you get chosen for the Sunday. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like it's great ice cream, no matter how you slice yeah. it. It becomes the, 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 a, a producer's choice. Yeah. And you have no control. Yeah. And I feel like for the actors who are just getting started, I, I come across a lot of voice actors that don't live in a big market. They live out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. they're just as eager as we always were. And right now, even, if, even without a pandemic, they had absolutely no way to get here or yeah. Chicago, or New York, or yeah. Atlanta, big markets where you might actually be able to get an agent. All they yeah. can do is create online, submit their stuff. And there are a lot That's of outlets right. to do that, but the one thing that they're trying to figure out is, okay, if I'm gonna submit auditions, how do I know if it's any good? How do I know what to submit, when to work on it? That becomes your skill set, knowing, okay, is this not yet good enough to send? Or did I have it five takes ago and I didn't have the ear? to hear it. Right. I still struggle with that, but oh, I've just, I've just learned to say, well, fuck it. This is going out. <laughs> I, I yes. generally am one take Jake. If I get it out, I trust my, my muscle memory enough to go, okay, that's fine. I know when I'm bullshitting myself, but yes. um, apparently we've entered the profanity phase of the interview, <laughs> but for the young actors um, to know when is it good enough to send that's one of those things I almost can't help you with. You've got you've got to know when you're when you're lying to yourself, and yeah. you've got to know when you're overdoing it, when you're overcooking it. Yeah, uh, there's there's a couple. Uh, the we all have phases. Yeah, here's the phase I'm in right now, um, and it has a lot to do with um, with with side coaching. I, I'm going to uh -huh. back up to ramp into the phase, but all basically. Right. In improv, and I direct a lot of improv, right? So, like, uh, there's there's a director. Uh, the director approach will, let's say, you improvise a scene, right. and uh, two people play a scene, and then it's done, and then the director is like, "Okay, good. Uh, we're gonna. I want you to change this. I want you to change this, and you're gonna fix this. But then let's play it again." So, a director is like kind of an after action report. A side coach during an improv scene will be like, "Freeze. Stay connected. Um, what do you want? How do you feel right now?" Mm -hmm. uh, look, look for, 
Look for process cues. Look for notes to give yourself that um, that help you reinvigorate your your um, kind of your magic tricks. You know, like wh- where are you? Like something mm-hmm. as simple as an environment in a video game can can radically transform whether or not you book it because I'm standing by a fire or I'm in my booth. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of the process cues are those notes. So. Um, I, I'm teaching a, a three-day workshop through Help Network online mm-hmm. uh, in November that focuses kind of on using Viola Spolin, uh, the godmother of improvisation, using uh-huh. her techniques to build your self-coach okay. so that, so here's the phase I'm in mm-hmm. uh, based on that idea. I'll do, rather than judge my takes as I'm doing them like a director, mm-hmm. uh, I try to separate that completely i turn the mic on i turn the recording on i slate and then i do three takes without stopping mm-hmm. um as as if i could send them and then think about each take once i get done with it mm-hmm. but not like would i send it or not but like how did i feel what was i missing did i leave any money on the table mm-hmm. did i do my prep am i reading it cold did i miss some environment what's the relationship do i want to give a different flavor and i'll do mm-hmm. maybe three takes that way and then i'll stop listen back and then um, choose from those three, what's the right direction or delete the whole thing and then do one more. Mm -hmm. And usually that, whether that books or not is outside of my control, but whether I'm happy about it, that's, that's generally been the the most successful process for me, especially on like, I mean, there's been a couple that have been like same day leads that are like, what? No, normally you get at least three days with a lead to n- get nervous about. But if you get like the same day, we're still looking for this character. It's 10. Can you get this back by five? And it's a big character and there's 10 pages. And you're like, I gotta, this is too much work. But then, but like after running it two or three times uh-huh. and finding the moves, I start to really do really start to find the character. And mm-hmm. then, and then as Brian Cranston said, just fucking act him. Yeah. Let let all those moves go away. Mm-hmm. I found I just found a I was doing a I was doing some sides the other day and I had my wife listen to it afterwards and I was like I feel like this is right. And she was like you know I, I love the character but um you're blazing through this script. Mm-hmm. So like trying to take each line and do something different sonically on each line not for no reason, but just to like mix it up is the intention on this line. You know, we need to go to the store. We need to buy eggs. We need to buy, we need to go to the store. We need to buy eggs. One pass. I might say those two things with the exact same weight. Well, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Like the, we've all each thinking in terms as a writer that each of those lines have a specific meaning. I should give them a different tone and a different thought and a different urgency and a different mm-hmm. connection to mm-hmm. bring more colors to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more I talk to people about their process for producing their performance, and the more I listen to interviews and watch interviews of actors and artists that I admire, the more I realize that there's a lot of different angles that you can come from to produce your performance. But every single one of them has to come from a place where you really do believe in what you're doing. Like, for example, Steven Spielberg, John Milius, Francis Ford Coppola, those guys are USC guys. And uh, George Lucas, on the other hand, I think he went to USC as well. 
But yeah. um, uh, these are guys that had training and they made short films and they just, they, they, they were produced by a very reliable system of academia that taught you film, that taught you all about film from recognized instructors. And then Quentin Tarantino worked in a video store. And he worked in a video store. And they said, did you go to right. film school? No, I went to films. And it's just, he, whatever it was he needed to do to bring his art and his, and his expression out of him, he yeah. did it. If he had needed to go to film school, he would have gone. He would have felt like, yeah. I'm not happy with what I'm making here. I need to learn more about this. And right. I, I find that with other actors. I know personally actors that have incredible training and they're working professionally. I know others like me, I've had some training. I did, yeah. I did take some acting in college and I did do stand-up, but there was no training for stand-up. I got on stage because I wanted to. Yeah. So the way you're coming about it is, okay, these, these exercises you're doing and these workshops you go to and these workshops you teach, they all make sense to you. They're working for you because they're helping you produce a performance that to you is going to meet your expectations. Yes. So yeah, when I when I think about the the young aspiring actor that is watching this, they may say, "Well, this other person on this other podcast said this or that." It's like they're right. not wrong. If it's getting the results they want, they're not wrong. There's no right. one way to do it, but you got to do it. You can't bullshit. Right. Right. So it's got to be right. a genuine way of pulling a performance out. And you've got to find the ones that warm you. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, there's this, I think, I've, maybe, you know, bo both of us learned learned this craft on our feet. Right. On the job. Yeah. And, you know, um, I remember watching the supplemental on the movie Collateral, where Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise were both speaking to, you know, some unseen interviewer. And Jamie Foxx is like, I'm, a, I'm an impressionist. I'm a sketch comic. I came up. I came up on In Living Color. Yeah. I'm a comedian. Yeah. And these guys are actors, actors. Michael Mann is an actor's director. Like, yeah. his work is amazing. And I, I, I don't know what their process is for me to create a character. I, I do it. I mimic a guy. Mm -hmm. Cut to Tom Cruise going, you know, the amazing thing about Jamie is he's so fast. He comes up with a character immediately. I have to do all this prep and deep dive and try to figure out who this, get the mind of this guy. And he's already got his character before we've even done our table read. Yeah. And like this, this, both of these guys meet in the middle over this story. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's what I, it's what really spoke to me personally about Viola Spolin's work and the improv scene is that improv games were not built to be uh to for whose line is it anyway to be a performance venue they uh, were those games were created to get people like a tom cruise and a jamie fox in the same room to get mm -hmm. someone who's done you know 15 years for the royal shakespeare company and someone who just graduated from high school and get them in the same room and develop a vocabulary and create a working relationship so they could create art together with the same lexicon. That's what mm -hmm. improv games are for. Mm -hmm. And um, going back to those things and connecting to them has really helped me uh, both as a, both as an instructor mm -hmm. and also as a performer and a director to be able to um, get to that common place of, and the common place is just truth and good storytelling. And, yeah. and you're right. Like, you know, it, if it's bullshit, it's bullshit. And you right. can hear it and you can really hear it when you're playing it back. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, and, and trying not to hear it while you're doing it. And if you're in the middle of a read and go, ah, this is bullshit, then boy, is it really bullshit. Yeah. It, you know, sometimes it's, since it's art, the, there's a great scene in um, uh, Dead Poets Society where Robin Williams's character has the students open their poetry books to the beginning pages where this, I don't know, it, it, it was a professor that wrote the book that comes off like an engineer. How do we know how beautiful a poem is? What is the artistic merit of the poem? Well, there should be a certain amount of X versus a certain amount of Y. And he has a chart drawn up. And if X is this much and Y is this much, then you at this point in the graph. And the higher up the graph, the more artful it is, the more beautiful it is. And Robin Williams finishes reading that and he says, excrement. Tear that page out of your book. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not a poem is beautiful. It's whether or not it speaks to you. It's whether or not it resonates. And when you're watching a performance, um, if there's something about the performance that just makes you notice the performance and not the character and their place in the story, it's not working for you. There are other times when an actor is absolutely chewing the scenery, but it just works. It's like, yeah, I know yeah. what he's doing and I can't get enough of it. It's, it's, it's mercury. You cannot get your hands on it. It's just what's working in that moment. And the actor might, this might be a 50 year old film that the actor yeah. did on take 19 and they just yeah. barely managed to get it out. But that editor put it together. The director got it out of him. The sound guy nailed it and yeah. it works for some reason. And yeah. that's the only way, you know, how does it feel? You know, how's it locking in here? Right. It's, it's tough to do it. And it's tough to watch it and know, okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I buy this. I buy it. You know, it. it's, it's like you were talking about with that, with your guttural yell uh, yeah. when you were crossing the street. Like it, yeah. came, from, it came from beneath you. And when, yeah. you're, when your performance is coming from that well of truth, yeah. even if it feels, it could be perceived as being over the top if it's rooted in truth. Like I just started watching the good Lord bird and watching Ethan Hawke on that show. Uh -huh. it, it's just, I, I've, you know, you brought up dead poets. So thank you for reminding me of that scene from dead poets. Yeah. Society, by the way, yeah. I mean, what a, that, that movie across the board is such a masterpiece. And, and, um, that but I, I had forgotten about that that part of it thank you for bringing the back yeah up. that's my takeaway from that too is like that's a great way to introduce this character as well i'm yeah. here to make you question the things that you're told not to question yes especially the like the nature of expression and art and emotion yeah, yeah. i mean what a it's such a great contrast yeah um you know but like connecting to that um i mean i've been i've been taking uh movement work with uh this guy terry notary who is um he he's a motion capture performer mm -hmm. who's done he played rocket in the planet of the apes films with andy circus okay he's one of the most sought after movement coaches in hollywood he's something right. else and um all of his work really connects to effortlessness mm -hmm. effortlessness and and getting to our neutral beautiful truthful selves and all this posturing and all the stuff that we think we're supposed to be doing i'm playing a badass and i put this effort on there at the front of it to make it sound is bullshit yeah like you couldn't you couldn't effort your truth in that crosswalk moment no more you know what i mean that that's coming from your your 
essential primal father protection truth. Yeah. And, uh, and it's real and compelling. And if someone was like, yeah, Chris, that, that moment was a little over the it top. It was a little labored. Like, yeah. It wasn't, it was connected to, it was like, it, it was allowed, but I want to keep it because it was raw. Right. And like that, you know, finding that, that, um, you know, talking about that kind of that labored and that work to get there, that you know, we, we spend the time in front of an audience, in front of a microphone, in front of a camera to continue to work on it, to get comfortable enough to let the effort fall off and to yeah. be just to be organic and be truthful and be connected enough to ourselves to be able to express the real emotion that, you know, that a Lego character might be having in yeah. a moment, you oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, one great way to learn about a lot of this is to watch documentaries about how films are made, watch yeah. documentaries about the casting process. If you're a, an aspiring actor Boy. and you want to learn a bit about how to do what you do, learn from the people that are going to be hiring you. I remember yes. to, uh, to, to build on what you said, I remember the movie Stand By Me, which I saw in the theater. <laughs> absolutely lovely film it is a it is a heartbreaking movie but it's got so many wonderful moments in it and yeah. Kiefer Sutherland is the bad guy and he's a yeah. wonderful bad guy in this movie he's the local punk he's the local tough but he's absolutely menacing and Rob Reiner who directed the movie said you know um, we had Kiefer Sutherland come in and we had listened to we'd read all these other actors for the part of this bad guy and they it's, all acted tough, but Kiefer Sutherland just was tough. He, there was no acting. He was just, he was that guy. And yeah. John Travolta said something, almost the exact same thing. He read for Randy Quaid's part in The Last Detail. Really? So this, yeah, this wonderful. Oh my God. Yeah, so if you want to see a movie that is totally out of left field, and you, if... Now, a lot of younger people almost don't even know who Jack Nicholson is. But starting in the late 60s and through the 70s and 80s, even into the 90s, Jack Nicholson was the man. And after a while, his, per his persona became larger than any character he could play. But he was known for playing these really counterculture characters. And in the last detail, he's one of these guys. So yeah. in that movie, he's playing opposite randy quaid's character who's just a total naive young guy who's gotten himself in trouble and he's oblivious to the way the world really works well that part was down to randy quaid and john travolta oh my god yeah they were the last two and john travolta had not yet broken through he had he had uh, he was like one or two years away from starting to hit and john travolta told the story he said they had had me come in again and again they'd had randy come in and again and again and they said John, um, tell John how great he did. He said, but look, this character was innocent. He was naive. He was clueless. And I had been portraying that very effectively, but I was portraying mm -hmm. it. They said, Randy Quaid simply was that kid. Mm -hmm. And they said, tell John he did great. But he realized, he says, no, I saw the movie. I saw Randy in it. And I, really, yeah, I was heartbroken that I couldn't get it, but I realized, no. He wasn't acting. That was just yeah. straight out of him. He, he, Randy Quaid is a revelation in that picture. And like, and, and in Paper Moon, he has that small role in Paper Moon too, where he's that same kind of a, he's a little bit more of a tough guy in that, but uh -huh. like, he's just, he's so 
so innocent and so like you need to really really care for that kid so that you buy into why nicholson cares right why this you know why this guy is feeling like the whole system is broken to mm -hmm. go on this journey with this this kid is gonna go who can't he can't handle the brig for six weeks let alone six years or however yeah. they're putting them in oh what a tremendous film man yeah. i mean yeah uh, and and that's what i love because I saw that interview with Travolta because I was watching an I was watching a documentary on casting directors, which they had never made one. And it's about the casting society and about the casting directors and the jobs they've done. And uh, I never knew they had that much to do with the cast of a film. I always thought it was, wow. well, the director chooses everybody. Not necessarily. The director certainly has a say. Depending on their power, they have a lot of say. But that casting director is responsible for putting people in front of them for helping craft a career out of somebody and knowing what to bring them in on, what to leave them out of, when to talk up someone, you know, who's ready for what job. I mean, they yeah. really do help put together the cast of a movie. It's, it's yeah. remarkable there, uh, you know, to, 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 it's one of the things that I, that I love about this being in a market for a longer period of time to get to know casting directors and know like both on camera and for, and for animation and video mm -hmm. game and, and, you know, even, even commercials, certainly. Yeah. That like, you know, that the casting directors, I, I was the on-camera spokesman for Denny's in 2010, 2011 uh -huh. and got a couple Super Bowl spots. And, oh, nice. and um, when I booked it, the my agent told me that when the casting director found out she wept yeah. and you go what like i don't i see them for 45 seconds to mm -hmm. three minutes mm -hmm. maybe once or twice a month yeah you know like are they how are they so invested in in my you know opportunity and it was like in chicago i had I was killing VO, but on camera, I would go in and go in and go in and get close and get put on a veil and put on a veil and put on a veil and never close. Mm -hmm. And then to close that campaign to find out that Kim cried mm -hmm. was it gave me this this different perspective on, you know, and certainly talking with like Pat and Kathy about that when yeah. when we close a, a big thing, like how much yeah. it means to your agents or Bo or Samit. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's the coolest thing for, for them too to know that they just – changed your life in a oh, way yeah. that's going to lead you to who who knows where it goes yeah. you know and you know that that whole i want to think my agent thing is like no it's deep man <laughs> yeah are, i mean it, it lets that I mean, agent it lets that casting director know that they were right to spend time on you that they were right yeah. i mean pat brady the reason i have a career Boy. uh yeah because we're both with cesd we're both with the same uh, uh voiceover agency Pat's the one that took me there. And I've done great by the other agents too. Kathy and Samit and Bo and Vinny, all of yes. them. Um, they have all done right by me. But Pat's the one that told me back in 2000, 2001, um, where I was still doing the road and coming back in, t coming back in town and I would read for something and I hadn't booked anything yet. And she said, Man, I've got to I've got to cut a lot of people off the roster today. And I was sitting in her office, and she saw that look on my face. She goes, "No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry. You could not book for a year, and I wouldn't lose you. I know what you're capable of." And I don't know if she ever understood just how much I needed to hear those words. 
because it loosened me up. And within a couple of years, I was making a living exclusively from doing voice acting because yeah. she said, I'm rolling the dice on you, but I don't feel like it's rolling the dice. I feel like you're going to hit. And just to have that, that um, faith invested in you by somebody that makes it so much easier. Oh my gosh. It's the greatest gift to, from, from a, a, a director, a casting director, a, yeah. a, your agent to, to, and it's not like, it's not like you, you need approval. Right. And it's not even, it's not even a matter of approval. It's like someone having faith in your ability when you are, uh, and beyond ability, like mm-hmm. there's ability and then there's what you do with your ability. Right. <laughs> there's yeah. potential. And then there's the choices you make using your potential. Exactly. And that, you know, and I, I have, I have that relationship with Bo where mm-hmm. she's, you know, she sought me out. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, while I was still in Chicago, like that, that spoke, that gave me uh, that the on, on the, on how that bolstered my confidence that booked me work else in, in other things oh, yeah. because this person could, you know, express to me the value that, that I possess. And mm-hmm. like, and I, I wish that for every single person who's watching this conversation, because I feel like it's attainable mm-hmm. and that, you know, that wasn't that. And, and comments like that don't come if you're, you know, well, they do that. They come to people with raw talent, but like it's raw talent is not enough. you got to polish that gem. Yeah. And, you know, and, and by demonstrating your work ethic and, yeah. you know, John Travolta didn't get the last detail. He didn't stop working at his craft. No. And then he, he eclipsed Randy Quaid with welcome back Cotter. Oh yeah. Welcome back you know? Cotter. Carrie, and, welcome back Cotter. Grease, Saturday night fever. Yeah. Yeah. That, Perfect. Yeah. Broken arrow. He went away and came back. Well, yeah. He's had like five careers. He has had so many chapters to his career. People that, yeah, I mean, I think, again, uh, I think people are only vaguely aware of Travolta now if they're younger. But to understand what this guy was, it it is not to put too fine a point on it to say that he was an absolute megastar from basically 75 to 80 and then from... I'd say 93 to 97-ish, 98. Right around Battlefield Earth, people thought, all right, John, you're pushing it. All right, you're kind of pushing it, buddy. Right. We love you, but, you know, there's only so much we can take. Um, That's right. Yeah, exactly. But but, uh, to, to, first of all, imagine what it's like to go through all of that, to, to go through that gauntlet and finally make it, and make it in a big way, and then make it in movies in a big way. And then have to go away. Now, in his case, he was very, very shrewd. He negotiated as part of his salary. He got a percentage of the soundtrack sales for both Saturday Night Fever and Grease. What? Yes. He was such a big star already with Welcome Back, Cotter, that when he did Saturday Night Fever and Grease, part of his uh, take was he would get a cut of the album sales. So oh, even man. after his career went off the rails in the mid eighties, he was like, I'll always work. He still kept making movies. Just nobody saw them, but he thought, yeah, okay, fine. I own a plane and I yeah. fly wherever I want to go. And when he did Pulp Fiction, he lost money on it because he flew his whole family out. He put them up in a hotel 
that it was a several week shoot, a couple of months, three, four months, yeah. I guess. He says, yeah. I ended up spending more money being there than I got paid to do the movie. But within two years, he was paid 20 oh million God. to do Phenomenon. So that's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So imagine Phenomenon. that career. You and I think, I had a great week. I had a great month. I had a great year. <laughs> I got to do it again. I got to do it again. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He had to do it in front of the entire world like five different times. I'm back. I'm here. Man. I'm back. I'm here. Man, that's something else. The grit that that takes the confidence, the optimism, yeah, all that to to do that, and then also and, and to not be able to go to the grocery store, yeah, uh, because no matter where you go, you're still like this. This happened recently I, on that track, probably. I would say one of the biggest stars of the seventies that I could recall would have to be Henry Winkler he would have huge. to, the Fonz was the, Fonz. the hugest thing. And he made so, movies. He got to make, and movies. he made movies yep. night shift. How great is night shift? And uh, I mean, but um, cut to four years ago, my daughter comes home from school. It's like, Hey, how's your day at school? It was good. There was a man who wrote a book who came and talked to us. Oh, really? Do you remember his name? Henry Winkler. Can yeah. you imagine if the Fonz came to your school and did I a know. talk? I know. And and for you kids watching at home, the Fonz, <laughs> imagine imagine BTS showing up at your school. Yeah. Yeah. All five members of BTS equals one Fonz. That's what that yeah. means, okay? That's right. This is before social media. Every lunch pail was either John Travolta or Henry Winkler. That's yep. it. Or Charlie's that's Angels. It. Charlie, to or be Charlie's fair, Charlie's Angels. Angels. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's and right. To or a lesser, yeah, to a lesser extent, the Dukes of Hazard. So that's right. <laughs> the whole point is that, yes, he had to, you know, he and I actually got to work with him once. I did, did a really? I did a Duck Dodgers episode. So I got to, with Travolta or Henry Winkler? Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. I never got okay. to work with Travolta, or at least okay. not yet. But I show yet. up and we're we're recording over at uh, WB used to have offices over in Sherman Oaks. And I'm recording an episode of Duck Dodgers where I actually played a voice match of uh, Steve Rogers, Six Million Dollar Man. So I'm doing my, you know, I'm doing my Lee Majors, you know, all, yeah, just sort of Texas, yeah, you know, sort of laid back. How you doing there? That's and cool. Bob Bergen is doing, is doing. Uh, uh, Porky. And yeah, doing Porky. And I think Joe Alasky is doing uh, Daffy. It's amazing. And Henry Winkler's there and he's doing a guest star and a nicer man you will not meet. And I thought, I'm and he was the nicest guy, which is always yeah. what you want to see. It's like I revered you growing up, and here I yeah. am working with you, and you're just cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's the it's so that that aspect of it. I, I I never really thought about that component, and I've been really fortunate to work mm -hmm. with. I've worked with Al Pacino. I've worked with Matt Damon oh, and, nice. oh, yeah. and Rene Rousseau and Jake Gyllenhaal and Emma Stone. I mean, I've, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek. I've worked with a lot of a lot of A-list folks, and yep. it, it can be nerve-wracking, you know. But like, um, I took a workshop with Pat Fraley right before I moved out here, maybe mm -hmm. 2010, mm -hmm. and it was it was come out to L.A. and do a scene with Brad Garrett. Mm -hmm. Ed Asner and Vanessa Marshall. Oh, nice! And um, it was a great day. We went over to Buzzies and like, and Ed was there. And you, like everyone, you know how it is when a celebrity walks into the room. It doesn't matter what tier you are. Yeah, like everybody's everybody, sort of... 
Yeah. He's just a little bit more. Yeah. And he had just had knee surgery and he was cantankerous. Uh-huh. And um, he went into the main, he went into the main booth at Buzzies and we read a little bit and he yelled at Pat over something and we couldn't tell if they were joking or not. And it, it, there was enough, there was enough venom in the yell that it was like, what's happening. And, uh, and we read a few things and then, and then Pat was like, okay, well uh, it's, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll do some more. So, um, so everybody filed out and I, I kind of hung back and I, I, and Ed, because he just had knee surgery, he didn't leave the, he didn't leave the, the booth. He was just kind of in there with his mm-hmm. phone. And I stuck my head in and I was like, Hey, Mr. Asner, I just, I just, I just want to let you know, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an alumni of the second city. And I know that you were one of the compass players. Mm-hmm. And he went, my boy, get in here. Talk to me. Talk. <laughs> and we talked for like 15 minutes, just the two of us about sketch comedy and about second city and about this work. And then, and then people started to filter in and as the people filtered back in, I stuck mm-hmm. out and went to the run, but it was, it was uh, such a, such a cool experience to like um, feel uh, feel part, feel yeah. part of it, you know, mm-hmm. and not, and that, you know, I'm always, uh, always pleasantly surprised and warmed by that, mm-hmm. that feeling and experience, you know, oh, working yeah. with well, also what you end up getting to see when you get past the glitter, because there's a lot of stardust, somebody like that walks in the room, you can't help but notice not just them, but everything they've done, yeah. all the different areas of culture, that uh that they've permeated with their performances yeah. with uh just who they are and then once you get past that and usually you're able to get past that after a little bit of time because you know from being yeah. on a set after a while that settles down you realize oh this is a person they yeah. have opinions and they have frailties and they have they have good and bad moments and yeah. and and not so long ago they were me and they were feeling yeah. this way about somebody else that they idolized. And after a while you realize, and maybe sometimes this isn't until you get home at the end of the day, or maybe it's a month later, or maybe it's after you see it on screen, you realize, oh yeah, I they were a person and I'm a person in a scene with them and I am now a part of history yeah. working with them. And then you, yeah. you begin to see your place in this firmament. You realize, yes. oh yeah, I wanted to come out here and work and be a part of this dream factory. And, and I guess I've done that. I, I, I'm yeah. still working at it, but I've, yeah, I've, I've got my spots. Like you say, you, you're uh let's see the, uh, the Al Pacino one was Danny, Danny Collins. Collins. Collins yes. yes. Which we yes. saw in the theater. And you this, did. Is, this is one of those movies you're thinking, <laughs> I like Al Pacino. This movie looks like it'll be fun. We want to go out yeah. on a date. Let's go watch it. And it it really sneaks up on you. You're thinking, oh, Christopher Plummer's in it. Oh, oh, and uh, Annette Bening's in it. Oh, this is really good. Oh, this is really fun. That's Kip. I know Kip. <laughs> hey, that's Kip. You go back to eating your popcorn and go, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a scene with Al Pacino right there. And that's what's that's that's Man. part of your legacy is that one day you're going to be walking by the TV and your daughter's got the movie on. And she looks at the screen and then she looks back at you and you go, yeah, that's your dad. You know, you know, this as a, as a park voice at Disneyland. Yeah. You know, I mean that, that first time, like it had to be the first time you rode the little mermaid with your kids. Like, (laughs) well, I only got to do it once because they were terrified of the ride because it was too loud. (laughs) They were like four. 
they were like four and five years old and i said let's go on the ride and they couldn't hear me over their own screens with me as you're right at the beginning right right at at the beginning beginning. it doesn't matter they have to face they have to face ursula and it's like oh Uh, no yeah sorry i've blocked out everything dad i don't remember if you're on that ride or not um no for me it's happened with the simpsons mainly the kids are binging Uh, the simpsons in every other episode they'll be this happened yesterday a character comes on and i know i like oh that that's gonna be me and the voice comes out and i look at my son and he looks at me and he just gives me that look yeah that's dad i go and then i go about my day and i realize that's my boy sees some of my work yeah and you get that all the time with your stuff right yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, like, with Pirates of the Caribbean being oh, like yeah. a, a pretty big one, but then, like, you know, all the kids became fans of Richie Rich, and uh-huh. you know, so Ilsa had to deal with that. But then, like, popping up in cooler things, popping mm-hmm. up in things that, like, I, you know, she hasn't gotten into Parks and Recreation yet, but when she does and forgets that I'm in the episode, and all of a sudden it's there, and there's that scene has context, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I, I, I know we, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Zack Snyder's films and to be part of Batman versus Superman and then taking her to go see that was mm. like, it's cool. And she's, she's yeah. old enough to be aware and to be like, you know, that's cool. And yeah. I, and, she, and she gets that it means a lot to me and is proud that I'm able to do that too. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting, complex feeling that's happening, and it's really awesome. It's funny because the last movie we saw before the lockdown was yeah. the weekend before the lockdown, Onward had come out. Oh, so yeah. So Pixar's Onward, which is a lovely movie. And so yeah. if, you, if you had to wrap up 2020 with only one film that you were going to get to see, <laughs> go see Pixar's Onward. because yeah. we, And by the way, our neighborhood uh, cinema did not change their placards. So Onward is still up there. Seven months later, it's still up there. Because they <laughs> it's still had that, playing. Yeah, it's, it's still there. So, yeah. so, okay, Onward has a Simpsons short playing in front of it. Does it really? Yes, and it is with uh, Maggie is the main character in it. Maggie is trying to meet this other toddler that she, you know, they have a mutual crush. And they meet at this little park that they play in. And the entire short is silent. There's no dialogue except for one line. It's one word. And it's a, a like a, a see and speak frog. <laughs> and she's heartbroken. And you can see all this on YouTube. So I'm not spoiling anything. Okay. But she's heartbroken. And she just keeps pressing the Y key. And she's just going, why? 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 Because she's wondering, why can't I see him? And it's my voice doing why, why, why. <laughs> so, and I see it and I realize, oh yeah, I remember because it was like over a year before that I'd recorded that. Yeah. So we're watching this and this is one of those dine-in theaters where the waiter will bring you your food. So we're watching this and the short is wrapping up and the credits come up and I realize, oh, my name's going to come on screen and my kids are about to, for the first time ever, see my name on a movie screen because it's never happened before. This is going to be amazing. They're going to see, and my wife has never seen my name on a movie screen. This is going to be amazing. And as soon as my name comes up, the waiter comes by and starts handing them their food and all three of them turn to get their popcorn and I'm the only one. And I was like, and 
gone. As soon as I turn back, it disappears. I, I, I just thought, I, this moment was about me. <laughs> and you made it about popcorn. <laughs> so I had a good laugh about that. I told my wife, I said, oh, baby, you never know how close you just came to watching oh, your husband's head explode with pride. And instead, <laughs> it just all the air went out. It was just. Oh, man. That's yeah. The, the only time they've been able to see my name on screen, they just went, what? Popcorn? Oh, OK. Oh, good. Popcorn. Oh, good. Well, well yeah. we can watch it at home. We'll watch it at home. We'll yeah. see it on YouTube. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah, I know. I got I got to have that with my parents with Call of the Wild. Oh uh, yeah, you did a lot I of got, work on that. I did a lot, and I got I got a um I got an additional voices credit for, um you know because I I matched Harrison, but they're not going to give me that credit. Right, or, right. You know, John Thornton played by Harrison Ford and Kiff Fanny. That ain't happening. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, my name going going to the L Cap. It might have been the last movie. It was one of the last films I saw before pandemic because mm -hmm. it was right right in february i think mm -hmm. um, my folks were in town and and got to see you know the vanden heuvel name on a on a screen you know a That's 20th century cool. fox the last 20th century fox film uh was called the wild and wow. uh yeah, yeah and we both recorded our parts mine for the the longest uh i think it's no not the longest day that was a previous one but mine for my simpson short yours for call of the wild in the same studio same studio. Both of our studios, both of our Marge. stories come from the same studio. And I did uh, the New Mutants in that room as well. Oh, Some really? The New Mutants, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was one of the first Disney Disney Fox films. There. Yep. But, um, but yeah, that space, like, I, I mean, it's such a magical room. Like, yeah. to, I mean, uh, what was one of, I, I still, I told Kathy this and Johnny Gidcombs, like, uh, because of this job, I got to have my my favorite day in Hollywood ever, uh -huh. um, and it was on the lot. And our um, the AD not the ADR supervisor, he was the post production supervisor, I think, or the mixer. I forget mm -hmm. exactly what his title. He'll shoot me. Um, but um, he was super. He was like recording dogs for Call of the Wild, and uh -huh. he had cast me to play Harrison and all this other stuff. And we had lunch together because we were doing a long session. And in the middle of lunch, he was like, I can tell you're a guy. He came up at American Zoetrope. So, like, he wow. started working for Francis Ford Coppola. His first picture that he worked on was One from the Heart. Okay. He's, he's been in the business for a minute. So, from the 80s, yeah, early Yeah, 80s. yeah. And uh, Tom Waits and Crystal Gale. And he was like, uh, hey, um, do you are you a fan? Do you know what Foley is? I was like, I, I'm a nerd for this stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's like, have you ever, you ever been on a Foley stage? like no i mean aside from a tour he's like well let me let me see what don't leave when you rap don't leave okay wait to sign your exhibit g but just wait it's like okay so i hang out i do the record i get done around two and uh i spot him and he's like hang tight so i kind of you know i'm marking time yeah. he's like okay come with me he's like, i'm gonna take you down to the foley stage he's ready for you we go downstairs this wiry guy looks like a cross between Jim Henson and Curtis Hansen. Uh -huh. er, late 60s, early 70s. Uh -huh. Seven foot, <laughs> just this giant rail thin wearing a black t-shirt, black sweats. He's like, hey man, I'm John, welcome. How are you? D do you know anything about Foley? Well, let me show you. So we go into this room, into the same soundstage. It's a mirror image of the Marge Simpson room upstairs. Okay. But it is filled with its grandma's attic okay. and there's floors and everything 
And he did a demonstration of three different film clips acting stuff out. One of them was a clip from Pirates of the Caribbean where he showed how he does Jack Sparrow. Uh-huh. And he, the, he's, the shoes he was wearing are the same shoes he uses to do Cameron Diaz walking across a different floor, but he wears the same shoes as Jack Sparrow. And he said, I bought these to do Bruce Willis and Hudson Hawk because ah. they sound perfect. Okay. Uh, both his high heels. Like it was just yeah. to see someone in a, uh, in a parallel track to what we do yeah. with the same excitement and enthusiasm for their spot in the mm-hmm. business it was so thrilling and cool oh yeah in fact this is a movie you must know about because you're a cinephile modern romance with albert brooks yeah so in that movie he's a foley artist and there's a great scene right. it has right. nothing to do with the plot of the movie it's just let's let you spend 10 minutes with what foley artists actually do and it's like a george kennedy sci-fi film in space and there's a scene where he's just carrying some i don't know he's carrying the uh the MacGuffin running down a hallway inside of a space station and they're trying to figure out all right how would he sound here what kind of floor is that and uh okay first of all do you have uh well he's big and heavy uh uh do we do we do we do this live or do you have anything in the bag do you have that uh that running footage from the Hulk with Bill Bixby the Hulk and they play that and they realize no that's not gonna work at all and over 10 minutes, they grab a water cooler and they're holding that. They're getting different, yeah, different shoes, different floor sounds. And I'm utterly fascinated and entertained by it because they're letting oh, you know this is how the Dream Factory operates. Yeah. It isn't just the star shows up and they light them perfectly and they do whatever they do. There's, there's an entire uh, set of gears always operating oh. around it. Man, I mean, like, just just something... One of my first jobs in Hollywood was to do Sylvester Stallone's exertions in the movie Bullet to the Head. Oh wow. So all of his all of his punching and being punched and throwing bodies and it was it was on my birthday, our 1 year anniversary of being in LA. I booked right. this job for Kathy and go out go nice. to Warner Brothers and I'm on ADR stage 3 and and some of it is like just breathing, like I'm breathing like sly. Um <laughs> but then where I'm in a fight. It's before the fight with Jason Momoa at the end, but it's like fighting some big Russian guy in a, in a bathhouse. And like the sounds I'm making are like, the guy goes, cut, cut, cut. The ADR supervisor is like, man, he's like, have you ever wrestled someone 300 pounds? He's like, take your shoes off. Come here. So then we square up and try. He's like, throw me. So I'm trying to throw him in the effort. He's like, that's what I need you to do, but just don't move while you're doing it. Yeah. It was, oh, Oh yeah, I remember oh, having uh, I remember having a job where I voice matched Carl Urban, who's in the Boys. Oh yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It was for a movie he did called Pathfinder, and oh, um, right. yeah, it was where he basically plays a, a Viking, uh, right? yeah he plays a Viking who grows up with the indigenous peoples of North America, and he ends up it's it's he blends in with them, and I'm yeah. doing all of his efforts. So as he's racing down a hill, as he's climbing up on on a rock as he's yelling, I'm doing all this stuff. And in order to get the job, yeah, you, you had to audition and sort of be able to do his efforts, but you're also doing his dialogue because they just yeah. want to know, can you sound like Carl? If you could sound like Carl, perhaps you could also sound like Carl as he's getting shot with an arrow. And yes. And sometimes you're, you're working for the ADR director. Other times you're working with the director of the actual movie. It's 50, 50, 
I used to think, oh, yeah. this must be rare. 50-50 for all the ADR jobs I've done. Sometimes you're working yeah. for the director of the movie. And in this yeah. case, it was Marcus Nispel, who had done a lot of videos. And then he directed a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's this guy who looks like a Viking. He's like six foot eight. Sitting there cross-legged awesome. on the couch playing with a Blackberry. That was good. Do one where uh, there's, there's more effort, more intensity. Yeah, quick. That's good. That's good. So it's all this screaming and wailing coming from me. And he's just this chill, laid back, Teutonic mass on the couch playing with his dainty little Blackberry. You know, but if you watch the movie, you don't know that that's what's happening in that room. Right. It's just that however you have to get there. However you have to get there. Yeah, I mean, I it is such a trip. Like, the, the a couple of the Call of the Wild sessions, we were they were tweaking dialogue, so I was doing diary entries. Uh -huh. Stuff that Harrison was going to do, but I was mostly right. doing scratch. Right. So, like, the production team was in there. I was working with, you know, the with the director <clears throat> of the film who had done the original The Crudes. He had wrote and directed that, so he's uh -huh. an animation guy. It was his first feature, mm -hmm. uh, first live-action feature, and then... Um, one of the producers produced the matrix like these these guys in there and you're like I, it's best for me not to know who's in the room in a way yeah it is you don't want to be in your own head about that stuff right and you know and you just want to step up to the microphone and be like eh, yeah here we are up far and then and then you get done and they're like gee uh um i have no notes yeah. and you, you're like yeah i did it yeah uh sweet Thanks, yeah. guys. So Yeah, sometimes it is good not to know because I did a job where I was doing, um, it was for The Conjuring, which oh, yeah. uh, I did uh, Josh Wilson's efforts. and um, No, Patrick Wilson's efforts. Sorry. Patrick Wilson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Wilson's efforts. And again, it's I'm not doing his dialogue. I'm doing his efforts. Mm -hmm. And this, this tiny guy, the director, is sitting on the couch next to me. His name is James Wan. I didn't know anything about him. Oh, damn. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's James. And it's just little unassuming guy. I don't want to say little, you know, but he's he's not tall. All right. Yeah. Super nice guy. Super nice yeah. guy. Great to talk to. And he's there directing me through the whole thing. And I'm sitting there watching the footage going, damn, James, this movie looks scary as shit. This movie looks, I don't want to blow smoke here. Right. But I'm just watching like dailies. And this looks amazing. He says, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I find out later, oh, he directed the Saw movies. He yeah. ends up directing, he ends up directing um, uh, Aquaman. The, yeah, Aquaman. And, and basically turns that into a massive franchise. And it's this unassuming guy that Man. just knows his shit, knows what to do. And he's yeah. not going to sit there and try and intimidate you with, no. you know who I am. No, he's just, hey, let's get, you, let's get the performance out. You know? It's so great. It's so great. I did. Um, oh, come on. I just had it. It was uh, Atomic Blonde. I did like okay. four, four days on Atomic Blonde matching John Goodman. Okay. And David Leach was the director of that. And, you know, he went on to go do the John Wick stuff. I mean, oh, it was like, and me and Chris Cox were both there and he was okay. doing Toby Jones and I was doing, you know, John Goodman. And we each right. had, were like at a 15 minute call and we were at a studio in, in Santa Monica sitting outside and you know just kind of shooting the shit and doing bits and you know chris is so funny and fast yeah. and we were trying to crack up and at one point david comes out and is like guys can you please can you hold it down this is this door and you're like oh shit sorry man um so like it's wrapping up and the door opens and charlize theron walks out and you're like <laughs> there's nothing to prepare you for that to happen 
And she said the coolest thing as she walked past us. She just went, boys, and walked past. And it was like, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, both both Chris and I were just like, it didn't even register. She was already gone. Like, she, it was, it, and and I think it took me like four or five days to really reconcile what had just happened. And like, you know, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, Charlie Theron walks by me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. That just yeah. happened. That yeah. happened. It's I know. gonna happen. And you know what's funny is, um, obviously we're both spoken for us, so and none of this means anything to us. Of course. But she was on Howard Stern not long ago, and she said, "You know what? I want to know when a guy is gonna step up and date me, like take me out." I'm thinking, um, Charlize, maybe they're just a tiny bit intimidated. That's kind of what Howard Stern says. Awesome. He says, "What do you What do you mean a guy's gonna <laughs> step up? Do you know what it takes for a guy to be able to run with you?" You know, mm-hmm. and and yet for all for all that aura of intimidation she has about her, and yeah. you know she's this world class beauty, and she's a person of depth of yes. character, and she's yeah. sitting here thinking, when the hell is Prince Charming going to come along? Because my feet are getting put to sleep here, Man. and 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 I know, I mean, somewhere out there, I there's mean, a guy that's going to step up, but. <laughs> And it ain't going to be the actors that she walks by and goes, boys, and that who no. I, 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 <laughs> I, I wish, uh, I, I, I wish nothing. I, I, it's one of those things like both, yeah. both you and I, both you and I have, have, uh, have stepped up and found the I'm, right women for us. I am locked so, in. I'm passing I'm, this along for the next yeah. guy. Yeah. And she, and, and Sherry was like my Charlize Theron. Yeah. Like, I got my like, Charlize. I got it. I'm set, man. My and dance card's full. Yeah, to uh, to I, that point, I had to step up to meet my wife because I had to cross a busy courtyard to start up a conversation with her. I had to bring it. So I think that's what Charlize is saying. When's a guy going to cross a courtyard for me? Huh? That's right. When's a guy going to step up and not be intimidated and and not see the Oscar and the money and the, and the glitter uh-huh. and just step up? Huh? When's that going to happen? Isn't it interesting, Chris, that this conversation has come full circle to talk about 100% what this work takes, that if you're going to step up to your microphone, you have to be authentic and be vulnerable and be real and be confident, confident enough to cross that courtyard, go up to your Charlize and look into the microphone or into the camera, read that script and tell the truth, because that's the thing that's going to get you to get you your Charlize. And, um, you know, and it takes work, Mm -hmm. but more than anything, it takes confidence and the will to risk. And, uh, you know, and, you know, both of us, both of us won. And, uh, and, and we, we risked a lot by, by the steps that we took to meet the woman, the women in our lives Mm -hmm. who would be willing to, uh, who'd be willing to take this journey with us and, um, and, and agree to that. Uh, based on whatever whatever it was that we brought to the table and i yeah. know that it's it's you know it half of that is the will to step up and say i want to do that and i oh, think yeah. you know in with this with this career it's the same thing you, you 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 can hobby at it all day long but it does it doesn't really start to happen for you until you invest it doesn't yeah. mean that you need to quit your day job, but it does mean that you need to take the time that you have available, the resources that you have available and invest in yourself by getting that time in front of people, in front of a microphone, in front of copy, and just just working on that skill set and polishing that gem so that it can become effortless. Oh, yeah. 
That's right, guys. You will now name your microphone Charlize. That's right. Because Charlize is waiting on you to step up, and Charlize mm -hmm. can hear bullshit. That's right. Charlize will not accept bullshit. And girls, you will name your microphone Chris Hemsworth. That's right. <laughs> or, or I don't know. It's like full metal. It's full metal jacket. It's your gun. You give your name a. You give your gun a name. That's right. All right. Give your mic a name. Give, give your camera a name. name. Love it. Yeah. Love that mic. Love that camera the way they love you because they see the truth of you. Yeah. And you have to you have to do the work inside to be willing to have your truth seen. Yeah. Um, you know the the copy will the copy will draw it out of you like like a mantra like you just you just ride that you ride it if you open up if you if you open yourself and are willing enough to let these things take you in there's there's no stopping you you, you yeah. can't help it and you know i've said this many times before and i will continue to say it because sometimes you have to hammer people with this idea i'm 51 okay i moved to la in when i was 27 and when I was in my 20s, I was like most people in their 20s. It's got to happen. It's got to happen now. Time's wasting a fit. If I don't get it going soon and blah, 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 blah. Right. It just, it'll happen when it happens. And if yeah. you get hung up on your schedule, you're going to end up not taking care of the things that need to be taken care of, right? You're going you're gonna to take your eye off the ball because you're going to get caught up and, oh, so-and-so is doing this and I'm not even doing that yet. Or this hasn't happened yet. I've, I'm having my peak earning years right now, and who'd have thought yeah. that? If you'd have told me when I moved here at 27, in 24 years, you will be working more than you've ever worked. You'll be making more than you've ever made. You'll have uh, all of the things that you have. And why? It's not because you got lucky. Luck does play a factor, but it's because starting whenever you decide to get serious, mm -hmm. you will start building the blocks of your career, and they'll add up. Yeah. Before you know it, you're standing way up here and you were down there and it just happens a little bit at a time. And we're in the yeah. Internet age, the social media age. I got to have it now. I got to have it right now. It's like, hey, whatever you have right now, I guarantee you in a year that that thing may be gone. Did you build everything around that? Because now it's gone. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. You'll be lucky oh, if man. you have it for a year. Dude, I mean. Look at how things, how everything is changing so incredibly fast. And yeah. it's about being able to pivot. Yeah. There was a, the, it was something you just said, it reminded me of a, of a Joseph Con, Joseph Campbell, Campbell quote. Yeah. Joseph Campbell that, um, and the quote is, we must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. And my wife says all the time, you got to have the career you're having, not the career you think you're supposed to have. Yeah. And that, that career is the thing that, it, that is, it's trusting the natural process of growing and strengthening and getting, getting better, smarter, faster, mm -hmm. et cetera. And that, that it, it, it goes at the, at the, at the pace that it goes. Yeah. And, you know, positivity and optimism is a is a choice, mm -hmm. and it takes it takes work. But it cuts back to what Robert Downey Jr. was saying about about working. Is like people want to work. People want to work with people who want to be there. Yeah, you know. And um, it, it, this is a fun job. And if someone makes it not fun, you're like, what do I? Why why bother? Yeah, yeah. And we can give you like we've we've given advice. We've shared our experience about how to come up with an authentic performance. How to build. Yeah 
how to build a performance, how to build a skill set. These are yeah. these are things that are um, they're truthful and they're important for your art. But if if somebody's watching and they really want to hear what practical advice is, okay, like you said, be a professional. A professional is somebody that is uh, ready to work, is uh, not going to make anyone else's job harder so that they can get their job done. And right. yes, you're also going to be somebody who's just in a great mood and ready to go. Because as you know, from being on a set at the end of a long day, you need people that are still psyched up to be there because man, that last couple of takes, you got to bring the energy. And when yeah. everybody's cratered, somebody's got to raise the morale. That, that actor that knows how to bring that. That's right. That yeah. tape is forever. And, yeah. you know, as, as much as you want to get out of there, I mean, the, some of the best practical, the best advice I ever got, and it's, it's business advice, but it's, um, I was working, I was crewing on a TV show called Christie for, for CBS back uh. in 93. And, um, the mixer I was working with was a longtime mixer. He had worked hee-haw in Nashville. He was a terrific guy, Glenn True. He owns True Audio, who, mm -hmm. and they have a LA office, and they're all over the place, and they sell equipment, used equipment, do equipment repair. And uh, he was the mixer on the show, and um, our call time was 7 a.m., and I got to set. I parked at 7, and then I went over to the food truck, and I got myself a, a burrito, and I got up to the camera truck around 7.15, and he pulled me aside it was like hey call time seven that yeah. means you're here at the camera truck at seven mm -hmm. that means if you want food you're at the food truck at 6 45 mm -hmm. that means if you need to eat beforehand then you get here even earlier but you're here opening the truck at seven not rolling in at 7 15 seven doesn't mean pulling up right that that advice that that was it was an embarrassing lesson but a, a really important lesson and you know especially in a town where Traffic is variable, but even in this context, you can still be late. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it does become about just planning ahead and making certain that you're there 10 minutes beforehand so that I'm in my trailer. I'm on, I'm in the, I'm in the waiting room. I'm in, I'm eating candy at LA studios waiting for them to bring me in. Uh -huh. They're not, they're not waiting for me. Right. And that, that will set them up for everything else. They, it will give you a level of credibility as a professional mm. and you don't have to do anything. You're there on time. That leads you, that sets you above so many other people. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I know it's these little things. It works for every facet of life. If people know you're taking something seriously, you're working in good faith, then that's going to be rewarded because Absolutely. apparently it's not, it's not as, it's not enough of a common trait, I guess. And That's what I keep hearing, yeah, I know. Even now, it's true. Like I've been slightly late for recording sessions, you know, only a minute or two. But you realize, well, I'm at home. If I'm one minute late, I don't have much of an excuse. No excuse. I, I'm home, so uh, unless I, it was I, yeah, school or diarrhea. That, that's really it. School or diarrhea. I don't know what other. You know, if you want TMI, I'll give you TMI. But like, you're 100% right. Like, yeah, you know, I had a session today that I was what what made me a little late was confusion over the way in which we were connecting. Yeah. Am I ip diddling or source connecting yeah. or phone patch? Or how are we doing this thing? Yeah. But like, 
you know, that kind of stuff is just is remedied with a text. Yeah, you know? that that's our version of traffic is Source Connect is being <laughs> choppy. It's dropping out. OK, that's our traffic. Right. I that's my right. my Wi-Fi signal's not good. All right. Well, OK, fine. That was our traffic. And yes, because yeah, L.A. Right. is a Wi-Fi hub, there's 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 more traffic. OK, fine. We'll, right. we'll find a way to restore this to the dynamic we were used to. <laughs> well, right. you got to give him 15 minutes. The Wi-Fi sucks where he lives. Yeah, so, yeah know, exactly. Yeah. He's got to get a stronger signal. He's, he's running a cable, and he needs to run to Best Buy and get an Ethernet patch cable. And uh, Yeah. By the way, that's what I'll tell you, folks. Cat6 Ethernet cable. Cat6 Ethernet My cable. router slash modem is in the next room. It's 25 feet away, and I got me a 25-foot Cat6 Ethernet. Cat six Ethernet cable, and I run that sucker around the couch, through yep. this doorway, shut the door into my booth, shut that door, plug it in, and suddenly, hey, we're getting a great signal. Yeah. All right. It's amazing. I got yep. a, I have a little Asus, uh, three. It's a three. They're like little. They about cube size. Um, they're literally like yay big uh -huh. and it's three of them and they create a, a, uh, a, a network that all of my electronics connect to. There's one in my daughter's room, one in the living room and one here. Mm -hmm. This is connected directly to the modem. And then I run a cat six out of this box into my hard drive mm -hmm. and then Wi-Fi for everything else. But like it, it's, it's a difference maker and yeah. it's so reliant and we're not, that's the other part is like, we're not just auditioning our talent. We're auditioning our studios as yeah. well. <laughs> yes. That's the variable that I don't have an answer for yet. I'm tempted to say uh, a part of this is going to remain even after the pandemic lifts. I think a part yes. of it will. I th yes. think there are enough voice actors that don't like being in charge of tech that will go back to the studios. Yeah. But there are other ones that really understand it and will build such a nice environment for themselves that the buyers and the directors and producers will say okay we like them enough yeah record from home if you want because your quality is fine we never have yes. a problem so if you're able to produce that where you are great and that means you have license to live wherever you want to live yeah you know it's I'm new seeing it's that. it's it's a unbreaking of the golden handcuffs and the freedom to be able to set up your life how you want it this is still a great town to be in there's so much here but I have to admit, and, and seeing my colleagues do this too, some of them, we have our plan B if we decide, all right, we don't need to be here anymore. We've factored everything in. We no longer need to be here. We, we are of the mind that we either go a couple of hours up the road or we go to Spain. I mean, there's just <laughs> no, it's, it's sort of, okay, we're going to go where I could drive in in a day or no, we live on a different continent. Yeah, that's my plan is my plan is I think I think Sherry would be totally content if we decided to move to London and ah. and it'd be like that. I, I fell in love with Sweden, but um, but I think, you know, I don't want to have to learn another language because I'm a lazy American. And then there's and, those and, 24 hour days in the middle of winter where the sun's yeah. still out. That's OK. Not a fan. I like yeah. I like London's weather. There's a good theater scene and mm -hmm. I can still do this work. And there but there's really there's no other city on the planet I'd rather be if, if I was, you know, there's always that question of like, if you couldn't be in the entertainment industry, what would you do? And mm. I'd be like, I, you've hobbled me because there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's so many things to do. It's like saying, you know, you know, it's like asking a doctor, if he could be a doctor, what would you do? And be like, well, I probably, you know, write books or something. I don't know. And as yeah. uh, for me and entertainment, like 
if I couldn't do VO work, I'd want to do props. I'd want to do, you know, I want to do Foley. I want to, I want to, I want to be in this business because this business uh, has always fed me. Yeah. You'd have you to know? be a part of telling a story. I'm the same way. Yeah. I, my thing was, if it wasn't going to be show business, it was going to be history professor because at least I'm imparting knowledge and I'm, yeah. I'm teaching, which yeah. is noble but yeah. I'm also telling a story. I've got an audience and I'm connecting yeah. with them. I'm sharing a story. I'm sharing an idea. I'm trying to reach them with something that uh, is important for them to know, but I'm telling them by virtue of a story. It's yeah. a much easier way to get it across. And uh, that would be something I would do. And I've realized that, okay, I guess somebody could say if you couldn't be in show business, well, I posted something today on Twitter. I retweeted uh, a guy named Jocko Willink, who's an ex-Navy SEAL. And if you ever looked at him, you thought, that's an ex-Navy SEAL right there. He just has a head <laughs> like, a, like an anvil. And, and he says, you know, people ask me, what, what advice would I give to my 20-year-old self? What would I say to my 20-year-old self? He just looks up with disgust. It doesn't matter. I can't go back in time and talk to my 20-year-old self. It's useless. What am I going to say to me right now today to put me on the path? All right. It's right. Monday. Go get some. Yeah. I'm thinking, what can I do if I couldn't do show business? Useless question. I will always be in some facet of telling a story. That's right. So, That's yeah. I, useless I, question. Yeah. It's like, what if you couldn't tell stories? I'd be dead. I'd be dead. I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd be a corpse and then I wouldn't care for your useless question. Yeah, that's right. So why don't you do research to come up with a better question? Because there's <laughs> what could you what would you do? I you know, I, I looked to my 20 year olds. My 20 year old self was an idiot. He didn't know. Yeah, what he I was wouldn't doing. my 20 year old self wouldn't have listened to 51 year old me. He'd have been he'd have been busy trying to <laughs> trying to hook up with a waitress. Right. Right. It you know. doesn't matter that 51-year-old you is a successful performer, yeah. a successful storyteller on the one of the most successful cartoons in the history of the planet. But 20-year-old you is like, shut up, old man. Yeah, shut <laughs> up, old man. I want another watered-down whiskey screwdriver in that girl's <laughs> number. I think she likes me. So, okay, I'll talk to you in 31 years, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it, yeah. It's, I guess the question is, what do you like? kind of as much as what you do right now. Uh, I like yeah. a lot of things, but um, yeah. guess what? I've chosen this. So here we yeah. are. Here we are. There it is. There it is. All right. I, I, I should let you go. You're, you're, uh, you're surrounded by your clothes. Yeah, I got, I got, I've steamed them all, fortunately. Yeah, yeah with you're, my in body heat. you're in a sauna. You're in a sauna now. But that's so, all right, uh, dude. Yeah. You, you go tuck in your kids. I'm going to tuck in. We're going to try to watch a, a Twilight Zone. We were talking about the Twilight Zone tonight. And um, oh, I want to nice. see if the, the kid is is up for um, Eye of the Beholder or Talking Tina, one of the two, you know, uh, for a good scare. We're going to have to do something where we just talk about movies and TV shows because oh, man. that's, uh, are you still doing your podcast? Uh, yeah, I've been on hiatus during during pandemic. Uh, I think I've done a couple episodes, but but it's been it's been slowish, and I've been logging in to see, and people are still catching up with it, which has okay. been terrific. So, uh, okay. but I'm, it's still it's still alive and happening. It's just been it's been slower. Okay. Well, then in the meantime, Kiff Vanden Heuvel, you can find him on Twitter. Yep. Basically, I'm at uh, at Kiff VH on Twitter and at Kiff VH on Instagram, and my website is kiffvh.com for reels and inquiries okay uh, and you're and you're teaching workshops and things you're you're yep. you're helping people build the skills they need 
Yeah, uh, the the workshop I'm teaching, I, I've been teaching on and off at the Second City, uh, Second City Hollywood, and we're doing everything virtually right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not scheduled to teach anything uh, this fall, but I am doing a three-day, uh, three, like it's one day, three times, in, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like separated by three weeks. Yeah. Uh, three-hour class that is all virtual. It's a steal. It's 150 bucks total for all three nights. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, focusing specifically on the art of self-coaching okay. um, and using those skills for VO, on-camera, interpersonal relationships, whatever, but really targeting VO. And right. the HELP Network uh, is sponsoring that. Okay. Um, and those will be like, I think, I want to say either Tuesday or Thursday nights. But the information is up there, and I'll, I'll send you the link. You can share it. Yep. Check it um, out. Absolutely. And in the meantime, um, one of these days, we're going to see each other back in the office. We're yes. going to see each other at one of the studios. And until then, <laughs> until we, then, my friend, you know, we have Source Connect. We have- That's right. That's right. Or we'll <laughs> yeah. mask up and, and grab some, uh, you know, a, a vegan treat. Yeah. A socially uh, distanced, uh, environmentally responsible treat. That's right. But I'd, right. I'd be totally down for, for doing this and talking about, uh, what we've been watching during lockdown and, and sharing oh, notes. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got to do that. All right. Good idea yeah, for yeah, yeah. future idea for Amen. future interview. Amen. All right.